Hi, I'm Logan Rice. And I'm Andrew Hargett. And you've joined us on To the Choir Master, a podcast examining our heart posture and musical worship. This week we are looking at the song House of Miracles by Brandon Lake and Jacob Suter with uh, Bethel Music. It was released in late 2020. And uh, Logan, this was the we played this song at our church, and this was the first time I have ever played a child's piano on stage. Yeah, busted out the old toy piano. Sounded pretty good. Yeah, it, it, surprisingly, actually, once you put put enough reverb on it and get a couple <laughs> microphones, it's like this really colorful thing, and uh, it actually sounded very close to the original song, which was was pretty cool. So um, I don't know if I think if we do it again, I might just use a patch for it, but it was definitely a neat experience. Ah, that's cheating. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, but uh, both in the lyrics and in interviews with Brandon Lake, the song inspiration is less of an actual worship song, and it's more of a prayer. Brandon Lake talks a bunch about his desire uh, to be a hosting place for the presence of God, and how this is his prayer over the album, over his personal home, and over his ministries. And I, I bring this up a lot because I think as I've been progressing myself through understanding worship, I went through a phase where I was very much so... Just, hey, only songs that directly are praising God in the most yep. uh, you know, overt ways possible. That was the only thing I was into. And I, I started, you know, open up the book of Psalms, and Psalm 1 doesn't do that. And I was like, well, <laughs> wait a second. Maybe there's a, a place for songs that aren't that way. And so I think that this song is going to do that a bit. Yeah, like you mentioned, this is less of a direct worship song. Um, we we just need to know the heart posture as we enter in, so that we can sing this prayer from a position of worship. Uh, I'm with you. I'm the same way. Thought, hey, if this song doesn't just overtly scream um, the adoration mm-hmm. or, or the, the lifting up the name of Jesus, then I don't want to do it. But um, this is one of the songs that doesn't, and I love the song. And as we go in, it's beneficial to sing songs like this, mm-hmm. um, just so long as we're looking at the heart posture behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, something where it will be a praise and worship song, uh, but maybe less directly. So as a roadmap, uh, we're going to look at the idea of a place of God's presence with verses 1 and 2. Then with verse 3, we're going to look at the power of God's presence and what that has the power to do. And then we'll we'll close it out with the, the chorus and the bridge, looking at the heart of the prayer and then the worship that's going to flow out of that. This is a place of praise. All right, well, let's look at these first verses, uh, verses 1 and 2, less as a line-by-line approach and more thematically. In this, we have phrases like house of worship, place of praise, house of healing. We use words that say, you know, where, which are designating a physical location. Yeah, ultimately, this song is speaking of a physical place in God's presence. Exactly. Which is kind of tricky to understand when we pair it with a, a psalm like Psalm 139 where David says, where shall I go from your spirit? And ultimately resolves with, there's nowhere he can go from his spirit. He can't go to the highest heavens or the lowest depths without God not being there. Yeah, yeah, it's always a bit tricky for us to grasp the doctrine of omnipresence. Right, which you and I both know where we're going with that, but that's kind of a big churchy word. Um, What is the doctrine of omnipresence? Yeah, of course. Uh, Omnipresence 
is just meaning the idea that God is everywhere, that he fills heaven and earth, uh, so that'd be Jeremiah 23, 24, that he inhabits eternity, not to say Isaiah 57, 15, that even heaven cannot contain him, 1 Kings eight twenty seven. Yeah, which is also interesting because it speaks directly to a house not containing God. Right, yeah, yeah, and so we'll definitely revisit that verse, the 1 Kings eight twenty seven. Um, and, and really look at that whole passage. But but this doctrine comes from many, many other verses, including many in the New Testament, like Colossians 1.17, and God holding all things together, or Romans 11.36, and how all things are from him and to him and through him. So it's difficult to grasp this doctrine, and yet still all of uh, prayers and songs, uh, this one including, are asking God's presence to be here, like the physical location of here. Right. Um, a song that comes to mind is the song Holy Spirit, where we sing and we welcome the Holy Spirit. We ask the Holy Spirit to flood the place and fill the atmosphere. Something that many of these verses you just read, and plenty more to come, are claiming that the Holy Spirit is already doing. Yeah, so before we get into what these prayers are really asking for, and then use that First Kings 8 passage to help explain it, I do want to get a bit into the idea of God inhabiting physical places. So let's keep it super surface level for time's sake. But I, I do want to highly recommend another podcast that we aren't affiliated with at all. Uh, but if you want to know more, they're a great one to go to. The Bible Project is a really good resource and has been recently doing a series where they look at the role of priests that sheds a lot of light on this. Um, I think as of us recording this, they've looked at the role of Adam and Eve as priests. They've looked at the mysterious character of Melchizedek. Uh, the immediate failures of the Levite priests, such as Aaron, as well as the narrative ultimately pointing to Christ. So it, that's kind of really their goal, is to point everything to Christ, and it's really fascinating stuff as they look at the priests. But suffice it to say that God has set aside specific physical locations where heaven and earth collide since the beginning, and that's what they kind of looked at with the idea of Adam and Eve as priests. The, the Garden of Eden was one of the first where God literally walked among the garden. Later you see the burning bush, the fiery mountain that Moses goes up on, and, and the Ark of the Covenant, and, and then the temple that's built. I've also personally been drawn a lot to Psalm 19, and you know we see that the heavens declare the glory of God, yet we also see that in uh, with Moses that God's glory specifically passed before Moses and caused his face to shine. And so how, how do we hold that in juxtaposition where... God's glory was specifically in a place enough to cause Moses' face to shine, yet his glory is also being declared by the heavens at all times, and it's not causing our faces to shine. Um, so I guess all that to say, there's not nothing to be said about God's presence being in a specific location, even when we know he is everywhere. Right. It, it's the paradox where we must hold loosely to our view of physics, meant for the physical world that we try to apply to the spiritual world. Ultimately, this is one of those things where we have to chalk it up to our brain and our minds are finite, and we cannot understand truly the depths of God. Yeah, exactly. We, we must shift our thinking to have space for God to be simultaneously everywhere and specifically in certain places. Now, there's really not much in the physical world to help us grasp this without going a few steps maybe, but uh, the closest I was able to come up with was how Christ is simultaneously deity and thus one with God, and thus he fits the bill to be omnipresent, yet he also physically walked in specific locations. Um, there's also a lot of really interesting physics books by apologists. Uh, one of my favorites would be Dr. Hugh Ross, where he has a book called Beyond the Cosmos, The Transdimensionality of God, and those go into all sorts of interesting things about how this might would work. 
But really shifting back to the idea of a place of God's presence, all of these places were intended to be focused locations where God communicated himself to the priests, whether verbally or by his glory. And the priests worked and worshipped in these locations. So this was meant to be the dwelling place of God's people uh, through Adam and Eve, but it became more restricted after the fall. God continued to provide a connection between heaven and earth through these places of worship and through designated priests. Um, but ultimately, that's that's what we see all throughout the, the Old Testament, especially where you know the Garden of Eden is this place where God is going to be communicating with His people. Hmm. So, what does this look like in the New Testament? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we must we must be wondering, you know, under Christ, our great High Priest, with the veil to the temple torn, what does this look like now? Yeah, this is definitely something that we have both wondered about before. And with Christ as our high priest, it, it starts to get at why a physical place of worship. Um, but, but under Christ, the beautiful truth is that the place of worship does become the Christian himself. Um, that, that's the big, the big difference here between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to pair off of your mention of priests, Isaiah 61.6 says that you will be called the priest of the Lord when the Lord's favor comes. Revelation speaks of a kingdom of priests. First uh, Peter 2 calls us a royal priesthood. Uh, ultimately, with Christ as our hope and with the Holy Spirit inside us, our very bodies become temples, um, as First Corinthians 6.19 says, uh, temples or physical places. Another way to say that, where heaven and earth collide as we, the new priests, offer worship. So where Israel had a physical temple or dwelling place, we are now that dwelling place um, or a spiritual house, to use the verbiage of the song, House of Miracles. First Peter 2.5 calls us the spiritual house for the Lord, um, and we're able to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so if that's the case, if the our bodies are that physical place now, what, what's the purpose of other physical places? You know, this song speaks to a house of worship. That could be a, a space set aside in your home. It could just be the, the physical church building. What, why have a physical church building, why have a place that we go specifically to do that work, do that worship of the priest? Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. Seemingly under Christ is the high priest. The physical goes out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it doesn't not go out the window, but it also, it also stays. So how do we see these two worlds kind of collide? So uh, we've seen many times the benefits of corporate worship. And those same things are true of corporate prayer and sharing burdens, right? Uh, leading small groups at church, um, the corporate gathering of the body for the community and encouragement and exhortation is something really important to me. But let's turn it back to 1 Kings 8.27. So this is where Solomon recognizes that God cannot literally live in the temple, which he said previously in verses 12 and 13, is why he built the temple. So as we continue to read in 1 Kings 8, we see more of that explanation of Solomon's understanding of why he's building the temple for a God that won't ultimately live there. Um, And really, the temple is meant to be a place where he meets God to pray, and he asks God to hear his prayers when he prays there, or when the people pray directed towards the temple. And verse 30 goes on further to even recognize that God is also dwelling in heaven, but Solomon still asks God to hear. So if you put all of these things together... We see that one, the physical dwelling place, cannot hold God, yet God is there and in heaven. 
Two, God can hear the prayers while in heaven as now a dwelling place. God can hear the prayers even when the people are not physically at the dwelling place. Both of those points found in verse 30. Yet the place is important. So how do we meld this all together? To me, this speaks of our own need for the place. The temple is the physical manifestation or image of what we truly desire, which is to walk with God again, right? Solomon used the physical temple, which was beautiful, by the way, to meet with God. He understood this isn't where God lives, right? This isn't the whole world is void of God, yet the temple is where God is. Mm -hmm. Um, He understood this, uh, this omnipresence. But he also understood that God is everywhere. He is, uh, he is everywhere in the world. Yet this temple was where he knows he will be. And I think that's more for Solomon's point. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, that constant reminder of our need to be in God's presence, to be walking with him, to be conversing with him. Right. For, for, for me, it helps me to view God not just as out there, but as right here. Even though he is right here. But it's, it's like you said, it's to help me view that. So Right. Yeah, so that's really good stuff, but but what about today? What does the house of worship or miracles or maybe the church building serve for us today beyond just, you know, Solomon's temple? Right. So in addition to what we talked about with Solomon's temple um, and what kind of what that looks like for us, uh, the physical location is just a place where we intentionally seek after perceiving God's presence, which is exactly what Solomon did. So we come... T- we come intending to communicate to God by worship and prayer, and expect to receive communication from God by His Word and perceived presence. That's why we sing the line like, you have our full attention in the song. We ought to be doing that with our entire lives, and hopefully are moving more and more towards that, right, of recognizing God in the everyday. Giving Him our attention. Exactly. But this place of praise, to use the words of the song, is where we intentionally strip aside distractions and give God our full attention. And... This can be anywhere. So I think the direct one-to-one, right, would be, well, Solomon had the temple and we have the church building, which is certainly um, certainly true. Mm-hmm. But this could also be the prayer closet. Uh, we have a good friend who would meet in the morning with God by kneeling in his bathroom because that was the best place for him to get away from everything and have intentionality with the Lord, as we mentioned. So Get away, so, get away from kids and everybody else. You can it, <laughs> close exactly. the door. Exactly. So the place itself cannot contain God. It more so is a place that allows us to focus on him freely. This is a set-aside time in a designated distraction-free environment. Yeah, ultimately, like you've mentioned, this house of worship, this place of praise, is a place for our benefit to come before our Father, to recognize and to perceive the presence of an omnipresent God and to come and be able to worship Him and experience Him. There's resurrection power Your blood runs through our veins Your kingdom triumphs So let's take a brief look at what God's presence does to us. Um, We've talked already in verse 1 a lot about God's presence and the nature of it being everywhere and then also being specifically in places of worship. But this song is really, it's called House of Miracles by title. It's not just House of Worship. So I want to look a bit at what that power is, what what God's presence is actually doing, what that miracle is that it's doing to us. We've talked a lot about these concepts before, 
So uh, be feel uh, feel free to check out our episodes. We've done uh, Miracles by Chris Kilala, uh, Rattle and My Testimony by Elevation Worship capture a lot of this as well. Yeah, and these lyrics are actually very similar to Rattle with the idea of resurrection power um, kind of running through our veins, uh, which is something that we spoke a good bit about in the episode on Rattle. So again, be sure to check that out. But this song does do a fantastic job of pointing out that the greatest miracle or triumph of the kingdom is raising the dead to life. Yes, and, and so to speak to the idea of the coldest grave that's used in uh, these lyrics, it has the power to do that for any person with any background. And so when they say coldest grave, I think they're just trying to provide some imagery for saying that there's no question about life, right? Because it's not that we're saying there's different levels of dead. Dead is dead, right? But the coldest grave is meant to say, like, hey, we're not questioning whether there's life here. If, if the body's cold, if the grave is cold, it's it's dead, it's been dead, we're not even looking for life. And so for this song, that might be referring to someone who is spiritually dead and cold by living in sin, loving sin, maybe even hating the gospel. Right. You know, when we look at the death-to-life stories in the New Testament, um, you know, the more popular ones are the physical, right? So you obviously have Jesus' resurrection, Mm -hmm. um, Lazarus. But I think a great example of resurrection um, is the Apostle Paul. Mm -hmm. So Paul killed Christians. He persecuted the church. Um, And this was was back when he was called Saul, right? But you see that in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, hey, he's the chief of sinners. Yet on the road to Damascus, uh, Christ reveals himself to, to Saul. Um, he, he now has this transformation of the heart. The His coldest grave has been transformed. He has a new heart. He's given a new name, um, literally in this sense. He's now Paul. And he then turns and says, hey, Christ came to save me, and I've been brought from death to life. Yeah. That that First Timothy one fifteen passage is such a cool concept for me, because it's not just that the kingdom is able to triumph over really bad sin and death, but that's exactly what Jesus came here and meant to do. Repeatedly in Scripture, Jesus dines with the worst sinners of society, uh, you know, the the tax collectors, so to speak, because that was his purpose, so that he could best display his glory. Right, which is ultimately such an assurance to us. Yeah, absolutely. But why is this verse in this song is the question that I have. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, clearly the writers thought that there was some relationship between the physical place of worship and the miracle of spiritual death to life. Uh, what is the biblical case for that? Yeah, this is that's a good question, and really, honestly, one that I wasn't sure about initially as I was trying to piece it all in. Right, which is which is why we do the podcast um, and why we are called to meditate on Scripture. Um, otherwise, we miss the connections or seeing things without really grasping the concept. Yeah, yeah, we 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 sing these th- lines and we. It's even the way we read the Bible, where we, we we read a section here and don't recognize that it's tied together with this section before and after it. And uh, and I was studying actually last night on ancient Jewish literature and just how many ties they do uh, throughout Scripture where they just repeat these themes and over and over and over again. So that's a sidetrack, but needless <laughs> to say, um, it's a really fun sidetrack we should do sometime. But needless to say, even with this song, you know, I, I want to look at, you know, this author, this artist, likely isn't just throwing out random things, right? They have mm-hmm. some way that this is being tied in their mind to the house of worship. So I don't know exactly what Brandon Lake was thinking when he did this. Um, I haven't seen. But the, the places that my mind went were, number one, that the word being preached is essential 
as an element of salvation. And we see that really in Romans 10, uh, 14 through 17. That's that passage where you see, you know, how are they to, it's basically like, how are they to be saved if they haven't heard the word, and how are they to hear without somebody preaching, right? And so it's not so much that um, the, uh, that the physical preaching is what's doing the salvation, because we know that that's what, that's what God's doing. But the tools, the means by which he has chosen to do that are through preaching, which requires a person and which requires a physical place where it's happening. There's, uh, th- those two are inseparable. And then the other thing that pairs with that is like when Paul in like Colossians 1.24 talks about, you know, we fill up what was lacking. And, you know, we're always saying, you know, well, what was lacking in the ministry of Jesus? You know, what could Paul possibly add to Jesus? And if you, you, you do a lot of word studies and look through uh, them using that same phrase in Philippians, what, what you ultimately see is that Paul filling up what was lacking is him being the physical carrier of the message of Jesus Christ. So when I put all that together, I, I see really that there needs to be some physical aspect to uh, portraying or demonstrating the gospel in order to meet people in physical locations. And so uh, all of that together is that a physical place of worship, a physical place of proclaiming God's word is necessary to see these miracles, to have the house of miracles where God is using that message, using that preaching of, of his word, of his gospel to bring people from death to life. All right, so as we mentioned at the start of this episode, um, the song isn't a direct worship song throughout, by which we just mean that the song isn't clearly lifting up the name of Jesus by saying, Jesus, your name is great, right? It's not, it's not just blatantly that. Um, in this chorus and bridge, though, we do see elements of this indirectly, but I would contend that the song is meant more as a prayer. Yeah, which is a little interesting uh, since the chorus is worded maybe more directly as a declaration than a prayer, or at least in the sense that we often think of prayers where we, you know, generally when we pray, we're asking for things, and this one's a little bit more declarative in saying, you know, do this, this is this. Um, So I think the authors of the song are, are intending this to be where they're speaking the prayer out loud in expectation of it being true. Yeah, which is fitting in this case because we can hold as true that faithful preaching of God's word will produce faith and bring the spiritually dead to life. So if these things are happening, we can declare it as a house of miracles. Yeah, yeah. So our singing, our preaching, evangelism within the walls of the church is all a call urging people to find life in the name of Jesus Christ. So when I sing this, I'm singing it from a posture of prayer that God will let me experience his presence in this physical location by him doing the miracle of bringing someone from death to life in Christ. Right, which is why that corporate gathering is so important. Ultimately, it serves as a means of testimony. So if, we, if we're walking alongside somebody and we see that um, you know, in the church, and then we do witness that miracle of death to life, or we do witness, um, say, a, a physical miracle in their life. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, they serve as a testimony to the body. But that doesn't mean that the meeting places that we mentioned before, the prayer closet, our buddy's bathroom, um, you know, wherever it may be in our private places with the Lord, that doesn't mean that this is exempt from that. Um, we will meet with God 
if we are seeking after him in his word and through prayer. So mm-hmm. so this coming alive in us is coming alive in Christ as we daily wash and have our minds renewed uh, by spending time with him. And I think another posture um, is being one of laying everything at the feet of Jesus. Um, this is where we are surrendered to his will of trusting his plans and how and when and to whom he performs that miracle. Um, This is also part of the very purpose we discussed with the physical gathering place. It's a place where we can come and intentionally lay things down at the feet of Jesus, right? The the altar serves as that physical representation at church, right? Where we, like the Old Testament, they would come and they would they would lay their sacrifices down. We don't have to do that anymore. We come and we say we all we are living sacrifice. We will die to ourselves so that we can have more of you. We're laying those things down at the foot of the cross, repenting where we have not, and worshiping Him for the grace, mercy, and forgiveness that He offers. So as we round out this song, just like I would sing the chorus from a posture of prayer, I would probably sing this bridge from a posture of worship, or maybe more, a, a more direct worship than a lot of the other rest of the song, even though the words themselves still seem a little bit less directly like worship and seem more like statements of our belief. Right. Ultimately, when we say things like, I still believe you're moving, speaking, and working, we are praising God for what he does and is able to do. Um, especially when you think, I, you know, I, I still believe. I think that can look back to, hey, God, here's what you've done, whether in my life um, or using the testimony of the saints who have gone before. Um, I still believe you're doing that. So our belief itself is praise because we are saying that we believe in God doing things worthy of our worship. God is moving in lives and speaking through his words and is working a beautiful plan for our redemption. And those are all a part of what makes him worthy of our worship. All of these things are things that are naturally praise and worship because we are exalting God above ourselves. Right, and then also we submit to those things. So fixing our eyes on heaven means laying aside things that are not eternal for the things that are. It's ignoring the things that are light and momentary and transient for the things that are of eternal value. Receiving his vision means laying down our vision for our life and submitting to his as greater and as good. And so this submission is an act of worship, and all of this together is part of what I think Romans 12, 1 through 2 speaks to, with the transformation of our minds being the means by which we present ourselves as living sacrifices, which is our spiritual worship. So to to put a bow on this song, I hope this is one we can sing from a heart posture of prayer, worship, and submission. We should use the words of the song themselves to be the house of worship that reminds us. It's the, the words themselves are that physical place, in a sense, that is reminding us to turn and to focus intentionally on the God who's still moving, working, and bringing those that are dead in sin to life in Christ. Jesus, come alive in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. Thank you for joining us on another episode of To the Choir Master. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to give it a review or thumbs up. Our vision and hope behind this podcast is that these can be seen as a tool to help guide our heart posture as we sing, 
songs that we sing on Sunday morning. So be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to good podcasts. Uh, we'd love to communicate with you. Uh, we have social media and an email. So be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at To The Choir Master, or shoot us an email. Let us know what songs you want to hear in the future, any testimony of where some of these episodes have, have blessed your heart and have been an encouragement to you as you sing these songs. We'd love to hear from you at team, that's T-E-A-M, at to the choir master.com.